we're in for a real treat this week, or this week and hopefully in the next uh, few months as we're going to try and walk through the Gospel of Mark. Um, I think that's very exciting because if you think about what we have in the Gospels, we basically have a front row seat in the life of Christ and uh, what he did and who he was and where he went and how he related to people and his teachings. So it really is a tremendous privilege that we have uh, these ancient books um, to read from. So um, that's my plan, and I want to share a little bit of why um, I have wanted, why I thought Mark would be an appropriate book um, to go through. And so today's going to be a bit of introduction. Uh, we're, def- we're going to get into the text a little bit, um, but I'm going to kind of skip around here and there and just try and introduce the book and share some thoughts of why uh, why Mark, I think, would be a, a good one for us. So, so let's jump in, shall we? If you look at verse 1, um, again, I'm not going to walk through the whole thing. It's just not possible. It's, uh, it's a long passage, obviously. But verse 1, you hear the word, the beginning. And that should harken back, I think, at least for some of you, those who were here last week, to we talked about what? In the beginning, last week. And I think that's intentional. I, I think that Mark is making an explicit connection to Genesis 1. And I won't go into all those details, but I think the essence of what he's saying is that in the first creation, God did that. And now, in this new thing that God is doing, it is, in, in a similar way, a creation. There is a new creation going on. And so Mark has got this interplay going on. The beginning of the gospel is related to the beginning of the world. And it really is a new thing that God is doing. So I think there's something there for us, and that kind of introduces the whole book. Um, So last week, um, if you have that in your mind, last week we talked about beginning with God. Now the question becomes, okay, if we want to begin with God, if we want to do that, how exactly do we do that? Um, Do we just sort of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and say we're going to do this thing and have a big pep rally and let's, you know, let's get started, let's do this. I mean... Um, in reality, we're all sinners. Um, scripture clearly says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Our tendency is to be self-focused and to forget God. Now, that's just the reality. I know that, that it's the way it is for me day in and day out. So I think by doing a gospel, by sort of sitting on the front seat, if you will, in the life of Christ, which we could do that in any, any of the books of the New Testament, but the gospels especially we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at God. And like I shared with these, these precious children that came up here earlier, when we do that, we become like the things that we behold. Uh, one of my favorite authors, that's the phrase he uses, uh, uses is um, becoming or beholding is a way of becoming. And you see that in that passage I read. If you all remember Psalm 115, right? The people who made the idols became like those idols. Um, and Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, says the same thing. He says that we with unveiled faith, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed into that glory from one degree of glory to another. So as we behold God, we are transformed into God's likeness. And so we want to sit sort of at the feet of Christ and look at Christ and look at God with the prayer and the hopes of becoming more like Him. So that's one um, one reason why I thought doing a gospel would be really, really good. But why Mark? Why the gospel of Mark? Um, well, there's a few reasons. And I think um, 
one of those, y'all probably already got a good, a good sense of it as, as David was reading. He may have felt like there's a lot happening here, like to one thing, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. I mean, John the Baptist, prophecies fulfilled, then it moves into, you know, Jesus' baptism and the Spirit. Then he's in the wilderness, he's being tempted, he's preaching, he's casting out demons, he's in the synagogue, he calls the disciples, and then word is spread. I mean, it's boom, boom, boom. You get the feeling like, whoa, this thing is just exploding. And, you know, that, that is Mark's style. And a part of that is because, this is very interesting, is because scholars believe that Mark is the first gospel. That's what they now believe, that it was the first penned gospel. For the longest time, Mark was ignored. For like the first 17 centuries, actually, Mark was largely ignored. Um, the early church fathers thought it was just a second-rate gospel, that he sort of had a few fragments or something of Matthew and Luke and threw something together. Um, obviously, still, still the Word of God, but not as full as detailed as something like Matthew. And so it was really wasn't, didn't get all that much attention. Well, recent scholarship has actually reversed that. And most people now believe that Mark was first, and that's why it's shortest. Um, actually, the, in, in Mark, it's an interesting little tidbit for you, that there's only three paragraphs in the whole, um, the whole book that can't be found in Matthew or Luke or both. Only three paragraphs. So literally, almost the entire book is in Matthew and Luke. So it's kind of like, isn't that sort of redundant? Um, but what you're seeing here, and I think there, there's something, something important for us to pick up on, is that Matthew and Luke used Mark. Mark was the original. Mark set the tone. Mark was the one that the others looked at, kind of like their source material, the cliff notes, if you will. They were looking at and using that gospel to write their gospels. And so Mark really is the originator of what the genre of literature we call gospel. So something very, very special about Mark. Um, but the reason I mention all that is to say that the one big thing that I think is really going to be um, good for us is, that is, as you notice, with David's reading is it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, it's, you've got John the Baptist as the one exception there, but even that is about paving the way for Jesus. And so... Um, Jesus is front and center the entire time in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, even more so, all, all of the Gospels are like that, but especially Mark. And I think it's because he is the cut and dry, straightforward, you know, here's the absolutely essential material that we need. So that's a big reason why. Let's just look, sit at the feet of Jesus and look at him for a while. So that was one. Another big reason... Um, that you'll notice, if you look at verse 21, if you have a Bible in front of you, if you don't, it's fine. Um, but verse 21 in the NIV, which I believe is our Pew Bible translation, correct? It's the NIV. Okay. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach, right? Well, there's a word in there that the NIV sort of smooths out or sort of, in some places, here actually, just kind of glazes over it. And that is the word immediately. In the NAS, it has, they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. It doesn't sound like a big difference, but actually the NIV does that nine times. So the word immediately is in 
our passage nine times and it never appears in NIV. Not that the NIV is a bad translation, it's a great translation. It's one of my favorites. My first Bible was an NIV. It's just the translation philosophy is, is geared towards smoothing the translation out. It wants it to read more like literature. It wants it to read more smoothly. It's a, a paraphrastic um, translation philosophy, whereas other translations are more literal or wooden. And so it's going to draw out every little, even if it's sort of cumbersome and awkward, it's going to draw those details out. Well, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but again, nine times this happens. And so in the NAS, you're literally reading the New American Standard and ESV, which are more literal, immediately, 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 immediately. And you have this sense of like Jesus is like hustling everywhere, and you really get this feeling it's an action-packed sort of scripture. Um, And so uh, Tim Keller is one of my favorite um, preachers and authors. He writes that Jesus in Mark is seen as a person of action moving quickly and decisively from event to event. And so, you know, some of that is, is, is lost um, a little bit in the NIV. But from our church, the reason, here's the reason I share all that, is to say our church, from what I gather, is very much an action church. We like to be out doing things. We're very much, um, we're a big ministry church, which is awesome. And so we're out doing this and that and everywhere, and we have so many things going on which is great, and we can do more, and maybe we will do more. We'll see what the Lord has. But my thought was that looking at this gospel would help us sharpen that gift a little bit, focus that gift, um, you know, improve that gift. And so my hope is we'll, we'll look at, at how Jesus and all the action he's doing and what's going on, um, and maybe that'll help us. So that, that's kind of the second reason. And uh, to contrast that, like with Matthew and some of the other gospels, Matthew is going to be more of a teaching gospel. He's trying, his audience is different, he's writing a Jewish Christian, and so he's explaining the nuances of the Old Testament and how Christ fulfills all of that. That's a big, big deal in Matthew. Luke is doing something else. He's writing a letter to a guy and he's trying to sort of present an orderly account of, of, of all that happened with Christ. His audience is different with Mark. Um, actually, people suspect that Mark is a memoir of Peter, basically. That Peter... This is Peter's story, and Mark wrote down Peter's story, basically. And so we'll get more into that as time goes on. Again, I'm just trying to introduce the book for us here, so I'm giving you a lot of details. But uh, Mark is very, very action-focused, so I hope that will prove beneficial for us. The final reason that I thought that this gospel, uh, Mark, would be something appropriate for us to walk through together is that it has themes that are very relevant to our current situation. Two of these things that play a big role in Mark are suffering and authority. And I was really amazed at how it played out with the worship because a lot of the worship today was about authority. And I thought that was very, very, um, how the Lord worked that out. And that wasn't orchestrated at all. And so I see God's hands in all of this. But many of you may be familiar with the name Nero. I'm sure you all have heard of Emperor Nero. Um, He was a Roman emperor during the middle of the first century. And in the year 64, a great fire broke out in Rome. And it actually burned down, utterly decimated four of Rome's 14 districts. So this is a massive fire. Um, I mean, almost one-third of Rome was decimated. One Roman historian named Tacitus actually held Nero himself responsible. So he actually thought this, and a lot of people pictured Nero, he was a madman, um, but pictured him up on his palace porch, 
playing the liar as Rome burned to the ground. It's kind of this madman sort of thing. Some people think that's a, uh, you know, a legend or whatever, but one thing we do know for sure is that Nero blamed it on what the Romans called the Christians, or Christians. He blamed it on them. What happened? Well, a, a absolutely barbaric season of persecution broke out. And Tacitus, that same Roman historian, writes of Nero's wickedness, saying, quote, Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. They were covered with the skins of beasts. They were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt, to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. So Nero would literally hold these massive parties and would burn Christians around the party to light his party so they could see. Just absolute madness. Um, but that is what happened. Many scholars, the reason I mention that is that a lot of the scholars and commentators that I read as I was reading about Mark believe that Mark wrote to Christians in Rome during that time or shortly after that time. And so, so Mark has on his heart these, these suffering people. And Mark tried to bring comfort to the Christians by reminding them that Jesus, not Nero, was their true king. And that any other earthly king had no authority that even compared to Christ. And so over and over again, and you've already seen it probably in our text, even today, the authority of Christ is focused on. He went into the synagogue, it says, in verse 21 or 22, I believe, and they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority, not like the scribes. Or the leper who comes to him in desperate need of healing, and he just speaks the word and he's clean. Or the casting out the demons with authority. And so the people are amazed. And this, this is one of the emphases that we'll see as we go through Mark. Authority is a big deal. And obviously the suffering. These are people that were suffering immensely. I mean, leprosy was an absolutely terrible disease. and then the sick girl that was dying, and the other sick folks. So anyway, so we see the suffering and the authority. But the reason I'm, I'm drawing this out um, to say that it was the knowledge that Christ was ultimately in charge that gave them courage to suffer in his name. They knew the reward was greater on the other side, right? So if there's no hope of this is going to end or there's no recompense or payback for what's going on, it's a very, very disturbing thought, right? When, when, the, when, the evil, when the bad guys get away, it bothers them. We can all understand that. <laughs> um, and David, actually, in Psalm 73, Psalm 73 is one of my favorite songs, songs, and maybe y'all remember it, but he's wrestling with this. David is saying, you know, lamenting that the wicked have it so easy and the righteous struggle and have all these problems. He writes in uh, verses 12 through 14, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. And so David is saying, Is this the reward, God? What, what is going on here? Why do the wicked get away and I suffer? 
One wonders if the Roman Christians being slaughtered had those same thoughts, right? Under Nero, is this my reward, Lord, for following you? What, what is this? Well, you may know the ending of that song, and it's the reason I share it. David says, quote, When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. So while they may thrive in this life, God is judge. And again, we're coming back to the authority thing, and we'll see all of this in Mark. God is king and Lord. So that knowledge gives us the strength to continue on in a world where wickedness is rampant and where our leaders and those above us may not have our best interests in mind. So notice here, though, one thing I want to point out. This is going to be my conclusion to wrap it up. Notice here that there's no contradiction between authority and this suffering or this compassion. You have suffering and authority, like I said, are two big things. We're going to see these over and over and over again. Well, what does Jesus do in that suffering? Right, He enters into it, correct? He, he heals people. He, he speaks blessings over people. He casts out demons. He teaches people. So he's using his authority for the good of others. He's blessing people with his authority. That's, we, that's hard to fathom in our world today, isn't it? When we hear the word authority, most of us probably immediately associate it with yeah, someone like Nero, you know, or something bad. Like that's almost a, a dirty word in our culture, is authority. Oh, no. But Jesus brings these two things together in a way that says, you know, these two can cohabitate. These things can be together, can be married, can be one, and it be good. So Jesus is not only a man who speaks and acts with authority. He also enters into people's suffering and loves them. And we're going to see this a lot in Mark. So anyways, that's just a, a brief introduction of Mark. Um, there's a lot to say. I really wanted to, to dive into the text. I'm telling my wife over and over again, I sort of wrestled with doing a standard sermon um, or kind of doing a mixture of an introduction and making some comments here and there. Um, and I kind of went with the latter. So I hope that was okay. But my prayer, uh, setting this up for us, um, as we're going to be in Mark for maybe a couple months, uh, we're not going to look at every verse or every chapter. Um, we're going to, we're going to uh, touch on the highlights and, and get as much as we can. But my prayer, as I said, there are three big reasons why I thought we should look at Mark. My prayer would be that, like Mark, we would be Christ-focused, that we would be active. We are an active congregation already, and I pray that the Lord would sharpen that. And that we would be like Christ. We would have this authority and this truth, but yet we would be willing to suffer with people and be compassionate and enter into their, their troubles. So let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for God giving us this front row seat into the life of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would treasure your word. I pray that we would grab hold of it, love it, be in it. And as we are, would you make us more like you, Jesus? Um, pray you make these people very patient with me as I uh, seek to um, serve you in giving them the word and feeding them the word. Lord, I pray you would you would do the work that I cannot do. Thank you for um, your faithfulness and your goodness. Be here with us as we um, sing to you and as we finish the service. Um, 
We give you the praise and the glory. Amen.